Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. In for Boyd Matheson today, Marty Carpenter and Leah Murray, and we're continuing the conversation on police reform following the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of five Memphis cops. Many are calling on President Biden to act. Meanwhile, senators are looking to revive police reform talks and pass the George Floyd Justice uh, Bill in, in uh, the jo- George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. I want to make sure I get the name right. But how much can federal action uh, make an impact on state and local policing? Right? They're sort of like you can do this at the federal government, but very few of us interact with federal police very often. Unless uh, you've knock had on a really wood, bad Leah. day, right? <laughs> like they could, your life has gone south. Probably yeah. if that's happening. No, and I think this is a really interesting question. Um, I teach intro to government. One of the subjects is federalism, right? And you kind of do this: national government's responsible for this stuff. The state governments are responsible for this stuff. And one of the things that's kind of clearly in the state government purview is public safety, yeah. right? Um, and then our police departments are in municipal. Purview. Does that make yeah. sense? Because generally, ca- counties or and county, right? Like, so right. they're going to be down even at that local level. Um, so, to a certain extent, I think there's a national crisis, and we've got to like talk about it. But it's not really a national issue to solve. You're right. It's you know, it's you know, uh, thousands upon thousands yeah. of local communities that need to be solving this. Yeah. So, how do you sort of chart the direction right. without the federal government essentially mandating to the states or trying to, or even? I don't know if I'd say worse, but along those same lines, pretending to do something to appear to be doing something and not really do anything. Having any impact, right. Yeah. We've got Jillian Snyder, the policy director for R Street's criminal justice and civil liberties team. She's also a retired police officer. Jillian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. All right. So can you tell us, I'll just be honest and tell you, I did not watch the video footage that was released last Friday. I asked Marty off the air, and he said he had not either. So I don't know if you have, and if you did, what was your impression? I did watch it. Um, I had to watch it, honestly, because I worked in law enforcement for the most of my career, and I also am a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in Manhattan, so I do teach um, a number of aspiring law enforcement officers, and I just felt I needed to be informed I watched all four videos, the body camera footage, the pole camera footage, and I will say that I was disgusted by what I saw. Okay. So, oh, yeah, so they just sit there in that for a second, right, Jillian? <laughs> That's really yeah. like one of those just puts you on the record that you're on the right. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so can you talk to us about, um, I think Biden has an executive order that was supposed to improve accountability so that you maybe none of us would ever have to watch one of these videos and be disgusted again. Did that have any impact at all? Well, um, President Biden's executive order from May of last year, that does have some you know, merit and it's a move in the right direction. But his purview is only over the federal officers, as the two of you were talking about a few seconds ago. And because we have between 700 and 800,000 officers in the United States, only roughly 100,000 fall under that federal purview. So the rest of the officers are, you know, state-level officers, county sheriffs, and then most of your major metropolitan areas have their municipal or local police departments. So none of the none of the things in the executive order would really have anything to do with them. And that's really where we need to see change in policing because regular citizens every day, they are only encountering their local law enforcement officers. Um, Or if they're having, like you said, a really, really bad day, maybe they're dealing with an ATF or uh, a DEA agent, but that is very uncommon. 
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, you know, and here in Utah, you know, we we tend to fall. I, if you paint us with a broad brush, we're a pretty uh, red state. We're a pretty conservative state, right. and for the most part, in many policy areas, the general attitude is keep the federal government out of the way. We're going to handle things here. So, I, I guess with that as a as a prelude, what is an appropriate approach for the federal government when, when trying to say, "Hey, we've got a problem that's a problem in multiple states, or is a problem all too frequently in our country." How can they kind of balance that in your, from your perspective between uh, sort of charting the course as to where we want to be generally but while still allowing states and municipalities and, and counties to figure out uh, how the actual police work should be done? Well, it really shouldn't even be a matter if it's a red state or blue state. I mean, I understand. I live in New York, so we're a blue state, right? But crime itself is a local issue. It is not a national issue right now. Agencies have to respond independently of each other because they have different needs. So the federal government, I don't think, could come out with, this is what every agency must do to ensure this never happens again. That wouldn't work, and it would be completely against our idea of federalism, but what they could do is they can solicit a commission. They could bring major stakeholders to the table. They could work with the Department of Justice, and they could come up with policy recommendations for local and state-led agencies to, you know, take into consideration and hopefully implement. All right, so which of those, and I love that what you just said was it varies, and I'm about to say to you, well, which ones should we do, right? So I apologize (laughs) for this question, but, like, what are the right... I don't know, maybe not right, the right word, but what are the reforms that we should be looking to be doing at the local level? Which ones have been successful in the past? Um, some of the very basic ones which have been discussed in the last few years are decertification. So if you have an officer who gets fired from one agency for, you know, abhorrent misconduct or, you know, he just was in com- or she was in complete violation of department rules and regulations, they should not be able to go two counties over and get a job as a law enforcement officer there. Obviously, they were terminated from one agency, so they probably shouldn't be employed by another agency. Those are really simple things. But at the federal level, we don't have a national use of force protocol in this country. Again, agencies are pretty consistent on the way in which they train their cops to, you know, go from verbal commands to your next less than lethal weapons like your baton or your OC spray or your taser. But we don't have national, you know, this is the protocol for use of force. And that's something to consider. Most importantly, we do have the FBI did create this national use of force database six years ago. But to date, we have not secured enough 
voluntary participation from agencies across the country, something that I think is really important and would probably give some credit and legitimacy back to police agencies is to report these numbers, allow the FBI to compile this information and show in reality, these are the type of use of force incidents we're seeing. And then agencies could then make recommendations of where do we go from here. Do you have an idea, Jillian, why we haven't gotten um, a robust enough voluntary participation from our local law enforcement and what they would need, right, to make it something that they'd be willing to do? Well, I mean, the federal government's not going to mandate agencies to, you know, give them that information. They don't even mandate technically them to report their um, their crime statistics. That's why we saw such a poor showing for last year's national incident-based reporting information system. But I do think that agencies are collecting this data. For the most part, your major metropolitan areas are mandating that officers complete a use of force worksheet any time that they use force against a suspect or a subject. And then that information is internally recorded. I don't know if it's lack of, you know, there's a lot that goes into compiling this type of data. What's the appropriate data to collect? Or should we be considering, you know, certain variables as race of the officer, race of the suspect? You know, what is it that the national government, um, the federal government needs in order to put out the most useful resources to the public? Um, so it's not the fact that we're not doing it, because most agencies do. It's just there's some resistance in policing to then make that information readily available. Right. Jillian Snyder is the policy director for R Street's Criminal Justice and Civil Liberties team. She's also a retired police officer. Jillian, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, coming up on Inside Sources, what is the state doing to help the homeless during this extreme cold snap? We talk with former state Senate president uh, and state homeless services coordinator Wayne Niederhauser.